Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. And please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mark 1, and uh, we're going to... We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. And while you find Mark 1, verses 1 through 8, I want to ask you a question. Um, what do your children, the candidates to the presidency of the United States, and Jesus' disciples have all in common? What do your kids the candidates to the presidency of the United States and your and, and Jesus' disciples, what did they all have in common? Selfish. Okay, that's 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 a good answer, and that's really close. Sin. Yes. Uh, the answer that I that I was that I was gonna give is they all think they are the greatest. Um, now, sure, that's funny, but if we're honest we have that in common as well, right? It's not just the kids. It's not just, just the candidates. It's not just the disciples who were so persistent in asking, who is the greatest among us? We want to be the greatest. We want to sit at your right hand and at your left. I think that's a, that's a pervasive problem for all of us, for all of humanity. We think we are the greatest. We think we are the center of the universe. We are self-absorbed. But... Really, what Mark, what Mark is trying to do here in his gospel, he is trying to show us that Jesus is ultimately the greatest, right? Uh, there's a, there's a, a word that I, I wonder how many of you know, but do you know what it means when, so, when you say that someone is the goat? The greatest of all time, right? And so I don't... I'm only going to say it once because I don't want to sound blasphemous, but Jesus, basically Mark is saying that Jesus is the goat, right? He is saying that Jesus is the greatest of all time. And that's ultimately what he wants us to see in his gospel. And I believe that's why Mark takes so little time thinking about the, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And he just cannot wait to get to the point of Jesus. He just cannot wait, right? He is the one, he is the one that arrives there the shortest or, or the, the fastest, I should say, right? With Matthew, he talks about the genealogy of Jesus and he talks about the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus. With Luke, something similar. With John, you know, he's, he's getting into this long prologue. And I'm not saying that they don't think that Jesus is the greatest. They, they ultimately think that Jesus is the greatest. But Mark, it's almost like he cannot wait to get there and start talking about Jesus, right? It's almost like he cannot wait to start telling us about Jesus, to, to switch the lens of his story and put it on Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest of all time. Jesus is the greatest. That's, again, that's one of the questions that the disciples want to know. They want to know who is the greatest. And, and, and their hope is that, of course, you know, Jesus is the greatest, but their hope is that they would be the second greatest. But John is saying, no, Jesus is the greatest of all time. And to introduce Jesus, 
he is going to tell us the, the very, very briefly, he's going to tell us about a man who, unlike the disciples, for a change, understood that he was not the greatest. He's going to tell us the story, this brief, brief story about John, John the baptizer, who knew that he was not the greatest. And in fact, he knew that his job was to point people to the greatest, to Jesus. So let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And can I ask you to stand for the reading of God's word? Mark 1, starting in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Mark. And we thank you that in this gospel, it is so, so clear that your son, Jesus, is the greatest, is mightier than any one of us, so much greater than any of us. And I pray that tonight, as we look into this passage, that we would see your glory, that we would see your greatness, that we would see that Jesus is supreme over everything. Please reveal yourself to us. Please give us of your Holy Spirit with, with which your Son has baptized us. Help us to see the glory of your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so basically in this brief account of John the baptizer, and the reason why I'm saying John the baptizer is because John was not a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist. He, would, he did not have a denomination. He was one who baptized, right? So he was John the baptizer. And in this brief account of John the baptizer, we will see that Jesus is the greatest of all time because he is the one that brings the salvation that God promised and we are also going to talk about our own attitude in receiving this salvation. And finally, we will see that by God's grace, and this might be a shocker to some of you, we are actually greater than John. All right? So we're going to see that Jesus is the one who is bringing the kingdom of God, who is bringing God's promised salvation. We're also going to see what kind of attitude we have to have for receiving this kingdom. And then lastly, we're going to see that we, again, this is by, by God's grace and by God's mercy, we are actually greater than John, right? Since we're talking about who is the greatest. Well, we're going to see that at the end of this message. But first, let's talk about um, Jesus as the greatest of all time. Jesus is the one who is bringing God's 
salvation. So Mark writes in Mark 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? He's saying this message, this is the good news about Jesus. I'm writing about Jesus. I'm not writing about anything else, but I'm writing about him, about Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And then what he does immediately after that in verses 2 and 3, he quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah, and he actually uh, uh, he actually brings in a few other Old Testament quotes in there. And he says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And what Mark is doing here is that he is quoting this passage from Isaiah, from a few other passages in the Old Testament, and he is saying, this is talking about John the baptizer. This guy that I'm about to introduce, John the baptizer, he is the one prophesied in the Old Testament who would prepare the way for the Lord. But again, Mark is not so much concerned with John. Mark is concerned with Jesus. And so what he is saying, what he is doing by bringing John the baptizer here, he is making that connection between Jesus and the Old Testament salvation that was promised for the world. Basically, the, these two verses, verse 2 and 3, is what Mark is doing to connect the story, the good news of Jesus. He is connecting it to the Old Testament promise. And, when, and what this means for us is that the gospel is not this disconnected good news that is just something completely new that, that you know, almost like God's plan B or, or God's new idea. What Mark is saying here is that this was planned all along. That the coming of Jesus, that the good news of Jesus, that his advent, that his birth, his death on the cross, everything that is described in this gospel is actually connected with God's plan that he had planned before the foundation of the world. And he set into motion immediately after Adam and Eve uh, sinned against him. Right? So this is connecting the gospel with the rest of our Bibles. And basically what this is saying at the same time, even though it is connecting it with the Old Testament, at the same time, John is saying that this is a new beginning. Yes, it is connected and it is not necessarily a plan B, but at the same time, the coming of Jesus is something new. It's the inauguration of something new. It is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's plan to save the world. In the Old Testament, it was all looking up to the future and saying, okay, one day the Messiah will come. One day the Savior of the world will come. One day God will save his people. And when Mark says in verse 1 that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he is saying, this is it. It's here. God is finally bringing salvation for himself. God is, uh, uh, God is rolling up his leaves and coming down and saving his people. I mean, even the wilderness language, right? It points us back to the Exodus where God saved his people from their slavery in Egypt, where he brought them through the Red Sea, where he brought them to the promised land. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, the wilderness is usually the place where God brings his salvation for his people. And so here we have John, the, bap the baptizer, but he is the one who is pointing us to someone greater than him. John is the last 
Old Testament prophet, even though he's not necessarily in the Old Testament, but he is the last Old Testament prophet in that he is the one, he is the very, very last prophet talking about Jesus, talking about someone greater than him, but he has this huge privilege of being the one seeing that prophecy being fulfilled. The other Old Testament prophets, they, they talked about it. They prophesied about Jesus' coming, but they couldn't see it with their own eyes. But John the baptizer had the privilege of saying, someone greater than I is coming, and then this one immediately coming, right? Immediately showing up. And, and we're going to talk about that, about that next week, how Jesus immediately comes and he is baptized by John the baptizer. So basically, the coming of Jesus, the advent of Jesus means that he is bringing the salvation that God promised throughout the Old Testament, right? This is not a, a random event in, in history. This is not just an accidental event in history. This is the greatest event in all of history, the advent of Jesus. This is God become, become flesh. And he is bringing in God's kingdom. In fact, we read that in verse 14 of chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus is the one bringing in the kingdom of God. Jesus, as we saw last week, Jesus is the Messiah, the son of man who actually receives the kingdom from God and gives it to God's people. He is bringing the kingdom of God. So if this event of Jesus's advent, of Jesus's coming, if this event is so great, so significant, what do you think our, our attitude should be? How do you think we should receive this event? Do you say joy? Yeah, joy. Definitely joy is one of them. I think one of the things that John is doing here in preparing the people is he is preaching a message of repentance. He is preaching a message of forgiveness of sins. Look with me in verse four. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So how was John preparing the way for Jesus? He was preparing the way for Jesus by calling people to repentance. And I believe that this is the right way for us to prepare for God's kingdom. I believe this is the right way for us to prepare to receive God's kingdom. It is repenting of our sins. Repentance is a humble acknowledgement of wrongdoing. Repentance is a humble acknowledgement of breaking God's law, of sinning against them, of guilt. Repentance is an act of humility, right? Because it, it, it requires us uh, acknowledging that we are in, incapable to deal with our biggest problem, which is our sin and our separation from God, right? Repentance is saying, I am not capable of saving myself. 
I am not capable of bridging the gap between me and God. I am not able to, to work for my own salvation, like we read in Romans, right? None of us is able to, to work so that God can pay us back with our salvation. Repentance is an acknowledgement that we have broken his law, that, that we are separated from him, that there is absolutely no hope for us unless God himself is the one who saves us. Repentance, again, I'm going to say this again, is an acknowledgement of our own inability to deal with our biggest problem, uh, which is sin, but it is also an acknowledgement of Jesus' ability to do so. Repentance is an acknowledgement that while we are not capable to deal with our problem of sin, Jesus is capable of dealing with the problem of sin. And therefore, repentance requires us bringing our sins to the light of Jesus' glory, right? If Jesus is the only one that can deal with a problem of sin, then it, it requires that we bring that sin to him, that we bring that sin to the light for the sin to be dealt with. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says that whoever conceals his transgressions or his sin will not prosper. But the one who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It is impossible to be forgiven if we, can, if we do not bring those sins to God to be forgiven. It is impossible to be forgiven if we don't think that we have the need for forgiveness. That was the problem of the Pharisees and many of the Jews in Jesus' time. Right? They were upset that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. And Jesus said, I came, you know, the medic, the doctor comes to heal the sick. And the irony of that passage is, is that it's not that the Pharisees were not sick. It's that the Pharisees did not recognize that they were sick. The Pharisees were not humble enough to recognize that they too needed a doctor. And so repentance, preparation for God's kingdom, preparation for for the work of salvation that God, uh, that God performs requires us repenting of our sins, confessing our sins, humbling ourselves, acknowledging that we have sins that need to be forgiven. We read in James that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. In 1 Peter 5, we read, we, are, we receive a command to humble, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. So if we want to, to receive this salvation, if we want to partake in God's kingdom, the way we prepare for that is by humbling ourselves and confessing our sins. And so I, I, I want to stop here for a moment before we continue to say, if you have sin in your life, and maybe I shouldn't even say if, right? You have sin in your life. I have sin in my life. And the one thing that we need to do is we need to confess that sin to God. Could it be that we are not experiencing empowering by the Holy Spirit or that we're not experiencing growth in our life or we're struggling in our Christian life because we are not confessing our sin to God? 
because we are holding on to our sin. And so we need to come to God. I, I love that Michael read uh, Psalm 51. We need to come to God and maybe just read Psalm 51 and pray through Psalm 51, confessing to God our own sinfulness and our need for him to heal us, to forgive us. In, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter is preaching uh, on the day of Pentecost, after he finishes his message, the, the, a lot of the people who are hearing his message, they ask in verse, in verse 37, they say, what shall we do? And I think this is the question that all of us should ask. What shall we do? And this is Peter's response. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is key. Ultimately, we need to be washed by the Holy Spirit. We need, to be, we need, we need God's supernatural work of forgiveness, cleansing, and salvation. Right? We need to repent. We prepare by repenting, but repentance is not what saves us. Right? If, if I could save myself just by repenting, then, well, then that's salvation by works, right? Repentance is just a humble acknowledging that I can't save myself, that I'm sinful, that I am hopeless. And God, in His grace, He is the one who saves us supernaturally. He is the one who cleanses us. He is the one who deals with our sin. He is the one that removes our sins. And this is what John is pointing to, right? In verse 7, John says, or in, in verse 7 we read, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was good and it was necessary in preparation for Jesus's advent, but John's baptism was pointing to something greater. John's baptism was pointing to a greater baptism. John recognizes that there is someone greater than him. John recognizes that, that the one coming after him is so much greater than him that he is not even worthy of untying his sandals. What does it mean by that? Well, what he means by that is that the task of the lowliest of servants in the household, which was that of washing feet, He's not even worthy of doing that for this one who is coming. He is that great. And I think this is, the, this is how all of us need to see Jesus, right? He's not, he's not just, you know, our pal and, and this, you know, equal with us. No, he is so much greater than us. And this attitude is the right attitude to have of humility and saying, I am not even worthy of untying his sandals and washing his feet, even though that would be a work of an, an act of service. But that's how much greater he is. 
And so he says, his baptism is going to be much greater than my baptism. I'm only baptizing you with water, but he is baptizing you with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need, right? Jesus is bringing God's kingdom. But what is the point of him bringing God's kingdom if none of us is able to enter that kingdom? But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus makes it possible for us to enter that kingdom by baptizing us with the Holy Spirit at salvation. When we are saved, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. This baptism in the Spirit means that our sins are cleansed. It means that our hearts are regenerated. It means that our hearts of, of stone are taken away and we are given hearts of flesh. It means that we become a new creation. And that's what I mean when I'm saying that in order to enter that kingdom, in order to be saved, a supernatural work of God has to happen. And this supernatural work of God is this baptism in or this baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so I think a question here for us before we, before we move on is, have you received this baptism? Have you repented of your sin? Have you acknowledged that you are not capable of saving, of saving yourself? Have you acknowledged that you are in need of a doctor that you are in need of salvation? Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you been given this supernatural work of regeneration? If you haven't, then I urge you to humble yourself. I urge you to repent. I urge you to believe in Jesus. I urge you to come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I need your salvation. And if you have, praise God. I, I, I'm so grateful for that. And then I would say, let us live in, in such a manner, right? If we have received the salvation, let us live in such a manner. Let us follow the example of John the baptizer here. And what do I mean by this? Well, while John recognized that Jesus is greater than him, he recognized that Jesus is the greatest of all time. Jesus actually said something quite surprising. He said that, well, let me read it in, in Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 11. He basically says that anyone who is in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Let me read it. Matthew 11, uh, verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Listen to that again. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, than John. What does he mean by that? Well, who is the least in the kingdom of heaven? I mean, any of us who has, who has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right? Any of us who has entered the kingdom of God by God's grace, we're, we're the least. Right? I'm, I'm not going to start comparing and saying, well, you know, you're a little greater than you. No, that's not the point. But the point is, 
even the least who is in the kingdom of heaven, even the least who has received the Holy Spirit, even the least who has actually entered the kingdom of God is greater than John. Why? Because John's, John's uh, role was transitional. Remember, John was the very last prophet announcing the coming of Jesus. But arguably, John was not, you know, he, he was not alive during the time that Jesus died on the cross. He was not alive at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit, uh, when the Holy Spirit descended on God's people, when the promise of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled. But what Jesus is saying is that now anyone who belongs to God's kingdom, who has the Holy Spirit, who has been regenerated, is greater than John. And think about it. Even the least of us has received the Holy Spirit on a permanent basis. John had the Holy Spirit, but that was, that was something special about him, right? People in the Old Testament, people under the Old Covenant didn't have the Holy Spirit permanently. But us, by God's grace, even the least of us in the kingdom of heaven, we have God's Spirit within us permanently. Think about it as well. The prophets of the Old Testament, even Moses, as great as they were, they did not have the full picture. In 1 Peter, we read, or is it 2 Peter? I can remember. We read that they were wondering who they were writing about. They didn't have the full picture. But here in the kingdom of heaven, even a small child who understands that Jesus died on the cross, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's salvation, even a child is greater than John the Baptist. Uh, let me read you a quote by J.C. Riley. He says, The child who knows the story of the cross possesses a key to religious knowledge which patriarchs and prophets never enjoyed. I'll read that again. The child who knows the story of the, cro of the cross possesses a key to religious knowledge which, which patriarchs and prophets never enjoyed. So what do we do with this, right? If we truly are greater than John, what do we do with this? Do we boast and say, hey, hey, nee, 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 boo -boo, I'm greater than you, John. No, of course not. I think our first response should be that of humility, just like John. I think we need to imitate John's example in saying, I'm not even worthy of untying Jesus' sandals and washing his feet. Our response needs to be that of humility and acknowledging the great privilege that it is to be in God's kingdom, to belong to God's kingdom. But I think knowing this also gives us, gives us boldness to proclaim God's excellencies. That's why we were called. We were called so that we would proclaim God's excellencies. John the, Bapti the baptizer, he was a prophet. He was, he was one of the prophets. But in the kingdom of God, everyone is a prophet. In the kingdom of God, every one of us has the privilege and the responsibility to proclaim the excellencies of God. Every single one of us has the, the privilege and the responsibility to speak about Jesus, to point people to Jesus. 
one of the things I like about Mark is that he spends so little time in, with John the baptizer, and he gets straight to Jesus. And so I was, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, I think the greatest honor any of us could have is that if someone were to write something about us, that they would spend that little time talking about us and that they couldn't wait to get to Jesus, right? And that they, what they would write about us would just be because they want to point people to Jesus. I think that would be such a huge, huge honor, right? If someone said, okay, I'm going to write a few lines about Ben, not because Ben is great. I'm going to write a few lines about Ben because I want to point people to Jesus. That would be such a privilege. And so I want to finish by reading this short quote from, and pardon my German here, from Nikolaus Ludwig, Count von Zinzendorf. All right? I think I got that, but maybe not. Uh, uh, the Count of Zinzendorf, he's actually known as one of the pioneers of, of modern missions. Well, not that modern, actually. He lived quite, quite a few years ago. But anyway, he started a missionary movement. And one of the quotes that is attributed to him, it's actually one of my favorite quotes. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I know it's a, you know, maybe not our greatest aspiration to say to be forgotten. But I think that was John's aspiration. John said, Jesus must increase so that I would, and I would decrease. I think that should be our goal, right? No, I don't, we don't need to, to aspire to increase and be known by everyone. I think it should be the opposite and say, my greatest aspiration is that Jesus would increase. That when people look at my life, if they ever look at my life, that they would see that my life points to Jesus. Why? Because that's my job. Because that's my duty as God's servant and as a member of God's kingdom. So preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest of all time. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the life of John because it points us to you. God, we want to be prophets in the sense that we are pointing people to you, that we would stop worrying about being the greatest and that we would acknowledge that you are the greatest of all and that we would live our lives in such a way, pointing everyone to you. Thank you that your son Jesus is the one who brought your salvation. God, please grant us repentance and humility. In Jesus' name, amen.